from Salma Hayek's Instagram. Two days ago, I woke up to the shocking news that Matthew Perry is no longer with us. It's taken me a couple of days to process this profound sadness. There is a special bond that happens when you share dreams with someone and together you work towards them. I was very moved last year when Matthew shared on his Instagram stories how much he loved Fools Rush In and how he thought that that film we did together was probably his best movie. Throughout the years, he and I found ourselves reminiscing about that meaningful time in our lives with a deep sense of nostalgia and gratitude. My friend, you are gone much too soon, but I will continue to cherish your silliness, your perseverance, and your lovely heart. Farewell, sweet Matthew. We will never forget you. Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch your favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert, and you can find us on Instagram at hold and underscore. This... Wow. What a way to start our saddest episode of the year. You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on TikTok at hold up podcast. And you can find us on Patreon for bonus episodes and content and coming soon, a holiday movie bracket um at patreon.com slash hold up carrie what did we watch this week what if it wasn't fool's russian what if you were just like we just wanted to read that we just wanted to read that so that you all would feel really sad and then we're going to talk about a different movie no this week we watched fool's russian i think we are again guys we told you we were going to watch her and then we did not yeah uh when the news broke of Matthew Perry's death um, and there was also people were recirculating what he had said about Fool's Russian and it being like one of his favorite roles, um, if not his favorite role, uh, we, we felt like we needed to do to do this movie. Um, this movie was important to us in our youth. We, I, and by important, I just mean we watched it a lot yeah um and friends is deeply important to both of us it is probably the reason i'm a comedy writer (laughs) um there was actually an interview i read when i was a kid with matthew perry where he said something about and i didn't find the interview like i meant to so i will i will misquote it but he said something about like watching something or read or reading something and realizing the like being a comedic actor was a thing and that's how he realized he wanted to do that job and like me reading that interview with Matthew Perry was how I learned I wanted to do that job so um yeah this is a this yeah. is a bummer of a celebrity death for us it is a bummer of, of a celebrity death for sure um and uh, we'll get into it but like watching this movie I just was reminded not that I didn't know but like he was so funny and so talented and um so deeply beloved and also he looked so healthy in this movie to which ben was like it like when did he get sick and i said it was around the third season of friends so it would have been right around this time and i looked it up he um, became addicted to Vicodin after a jet skiing accident in 1997. This movie came out in 1997. So it's very possible that this is like, I wonder if some of the joy he looks back on of this movie was like, it was the last time. I mean, obviously he got sober and healthier, maybe not healthier, but sober later in life. Um, but this was sort of maybe the last movie he made before 
Um, he got so sick and so, you know, it has this sort of bittersweetness now, maybe a lot of that might yeah, be I also just guessing, think, but, um, I, you know, in watching this movie, like, and I had that in my head about what he'd said about it, like being one of his favorite movies and it, it this is it, it like rewatching it, it is such a good movie it such is a good movie. so first of all their chemistry is fantastic it's so well written it's so it's such a perfect rom-com it is an utterly perfect rom-com it it, it does a lot that i think is rare in rom-coms where it's not just like will these people get together but like how do two people who love each other stay together right like how do they do the work of staying together um and i i clearly like a lot of our conversations can be focused on Matthew Perry but i don't want to sell short like how fantastic Selma Hayek is in this not only like her performance but also the way that her character is written like she is like a fully formed three-dimensional rom-com heroine in a way that i think was often rare um particularly in the for 90s and the early aughts particularly for a non-white rom-com heroine yeah yeah um I said at one point, I was like, she's such a good actress. And that feels akin to when I said last week that Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn were good actresses. Like, yeah, she's widely known to be quite a good actress. Right. Um, listen, listen, come here for some real, like, profound, unique takes. I don't know um, if you guys have heard of an up and cover named Selma Hayek. But, I just, um, she's going to be big, guys. She's been quite talented. Um, and, like, that last scene... And obviously we'll get, but like that last scene is so burned into my memory. And a lot of it is Matthew Perry acting choices. Um, and, but like, it's such a perfect, like rom-com reconciliation scene. This movie, I don't think we said holds a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it wasn't me that said it. It was Ben while watching it was like, that is because uh, sexist movie critics hate rom-coms. And I was like, oh, oh fucking red pilled on that guy's brain that's right he was like yeah i think people just hate rom-coms and it is such like such a sweet good little rom-com that like the reasons to to give it i mean like there's obviously there's criticisms to be made of everything but it's like 34 seems just absurdly low like were we watching the same movie I just, and I, I, you know, I do, like, there is absolutely a nostalgia element for me. I don't know Yeah, but know we've that watched can... movies we had nostalgia about before and be like, we were wrong, this sucks. <laughs> like... Yeah. And maybe it's because it's, like, on the heels of his death. Like, I, I don't know if I'm being totally objective, but I also, like, I am. Like, I think that this movie is, uh, like, a almost perfect rom-com like there's it just it hits all the right rom-com notes i saw someone tweet recently like there was a um someone had tweeted like now that superhero movies kind of feel like they're like past their peak like what kinds of movies would you like to see and i saw someone retweeted and say like bring back like late 90s early aughts like r-rated rom-coms right like like true rom-coms with like sex and chemistry and and all of that and i was like this is what that is like the it's not necessarily r-rated i think it, it 
is a little more sexy than some of what we get these days. Um, But, like, this is what people are talking about when they talk about, like, bringing back, like, a classic rom-com. Yes, it was directed, we should say, by Andy Tennant and written by Catherine Robeck based on a story by her and Joan Taylor. And they all did an excellent job. Good job, team. Yes. Um, it stars Maddie Perry and Selma Hayek, John Bennett Perry, and... and Jill Clayberg. Uh, that's who that was. I remember seeing her name at the beginning and being like, oh, she's dead too. And then I forgot about it. And then it was Jill Clayberg. God damn. That woman is funny. Um, again, Meryl Streep's a good actress. Again, <laughs> the hot takes from us. Jill Clayberg is funny. I saw Jill Clayberg on stage once in a Neil Simon play. Anyway, I was going to say, classically trained actress Jill Clayberg knows what she's doing. Her last role uh, was in Bridesmaids, where she um, famously had to talk about reading her husband, Beaver, first. Um, and they added to that after her death, and I always, that makes me giggle. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's Bridesmaids. Uh, Jill Clayberg, um, Siobhan something... Siobhan Irish woman. Lainey. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, Lacey, that's wrong. Um, and a lot of other people. Um, uh, Miss Patty from Gilmore Girls. She played one of her aunts, the aunt that isn't mm. deaf. Oh, yeah, yeah. At because he thinks it's the aunt that's deaf. Um, Carlos um, Gomez plays her ex-boyfriend. Um, lots of like character actors, lots yeah. of people you'd be like, oh yeah, that person. Um, um, lots of people speaking English to each other when they're primarily with their um, Mexican Spanish speaking family and it's like just throw up a subtitle you would all be speaking Spanish to each other right these people would not be speaking English to each other uh, side note I was watching In the Heights with the six year old nanny the other day because she loves In the Heights but she sure. she can read but she's not like a quick reader so like when subtitles pop up she's just like no this part's not for me <laughs> i'm gonna have to read you this up i'm gonna have to tell you what they're saying so that you can follow this movie i don't think she's in it for the plot i think she's in it for the music and because she thinks anthony ramos is dreamy um anyway oh, sure sure good for her um she did tell me the end of it she was like can i tell you a secret and i was like yeah and then she told me what the end of the movie was that's so funny <laughs> I was like, thanks. We were going to get there. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited. And, okay. Um, Let me tell you what happens in this movie. Carrie, what's the plot of Oh, John Tenney. John Tenney is also in this. Um, who I saw most recently in Sex and the City, the reboot. And that man's aged. I mean, granted, this movie best is. Friend. He's a yeah. monster. He's a terrible person. He is. Um. Not the actor. I don't know. Well, John Tenney. Let's be clear. John Tenney is not a terrible person. The character. The character is um, terrible. The character is like, I like to recognize him in Sex in the City. I was like, hey, who is that? The character's like, hey, hey, Maddie Berry, why don't you consult Ross on this one? He's not a great person either, but he's going to be better than this guy. <laughs> Truly. Um, uh, yeah. A nightmare. Anyway. I have gone on record. I There is a podcast out there in the world where I just absolutely risk, rip the character of Ross Geller to shreds and why he's a terrible person. We don't need to that. Rachel should not have ended up with him, but that's not what this podcast is. That's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. Um, what is Fools Rush In about? So Fools Rush In is um 
a story about Matthew Perry, who is some kind of like project manager for building and opening nightclubs. Um, I'm not convinced that the people that wrote this knew what like project managers do because lots of times he gets like called on to do things where I'm just like, I'm not sure that's his job. It's a um, great rom-com. Like he has a job that he has to do. He's a, he's a trans bouncer. You know? Truly, truly. Like, and after the club is open at one point, somebody's like, there's an emergency in the kitchen. And I'm like, you yeah, know, the, the construction project manager would, would not be in charge of that. Like at all that person is like gone they're not even there for the opening at this point anyway um so he has you know like a very busy high power job and he gets sent all over the world to open nightclubs and he gets sent to las vegas and while he's in las vegas he runs into selma hayek and they have a one night stand um and then three months later she shows up at his door and she says i'm pregnant and he says okay and then they end up getting married in a quickie vegas wedding. manner in a quickie vegas wedding they get married they plan they're gonna be together they're gonna raise this baby together and then they it doesn't work out they come from very different worlds culturally also like values wise kind of like matthew perry is very much like a uh it's very like focused on success and money and is a capitalist at heart um and sama hayek is very focused on like family and community and um you know, like making money to survive and like she's a photographer. So like she love you know, she is doing her passion. Um she like is doing a photography book about the desert. So that would be harder to do in Manhattan. There's a whole thing yes. where it's like, well, we're moving to Manhattan. And even one of the things I liked about this movie is it solves the rom com problem of like how do these two people meet and fall in love so quickly in that like all of the problem they they literally do that in the first third of the movie and then all of the problems are like yeah here's what would happen if you met and fell in love that quickly right she, at one point like her best friend is siobhan lacy laney La- no, her character's act. name is laney i don't know what her uh she's irish in real life she's no siobhan. she's Oh, you're saying like her heritage is Irish. Yeah, she's from, I think she's from the south side of Chicago. I think she is. Like, she's from Syracuse. What? Her accent feels so Chicago. Anyway. Uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan. Thank you. Siobhan Fallon. Her her married name is Hogan. So Fallon. Yeah, she, she married another Irish guy. He's Irish. Um, she's Irish American, but um, anyway. Uh her character like, she is the quintessential like oh yeah that actress yeah I, I recognize her from men in black and from playing one of jack donaghy's uh trash irish irish siblings on 30 Rock, when like all his siblings oh, she up. was a cast member on saturday night live she's very funny she's very good actress. she's very funny um but at anyway. one point she says like um these are conversations you have on the second date not like after <laughs> you're like like all of these problems that come with meeting and falling in love with someone so quickly are addressed and in, in like a semi-realistic way like 
Yeah, yes. you would talk about where you want to live before you're married with a baby on the way. Like, yeah. Um, and I just think that's like a smart way to get around something that often bumps me in what I think are lesser rom-coms. And like, we've talked about this before, the rom-coms we tend to really like either take place over longer periods of time or like address that issue in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, I also just think like, you know, there's something very, like part of the reason that I love rom-coms is I love love. Like I love watching people fall in love. I love romance. You know, I, there's something very like hopeful and charming about that. But I, I think oftentimes the more interesting story is how do two people make like a relationship and a family work, right? And particularly for these two people who really the only things they have in common are that they love each other and they're having a baby together. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I do think like, and there's also something really interesting about like this idea of somebody who does not come from like a warm family community like being wrapped into this world where like your aunts and uncles and cousins come over for dinner once a week right like your whole extended family is there and the ways in which like she teaches him how to love and like Mm -hmm. what love looks like um I think are are is just like a really interesting story and also a very like realistic story. And I said earlier, like one of the things I love about her character is she is not the cool girl. She is not like she is not tropey. She is not the cool girl. She is not the manic pixie dream girl. She is like she calls him on her shit and on his shit and she says like these are the things i want and these are the things i want for my child and i'm the one carrying this child and this is what i and my body and my child need um and she never like gives up her culture she never gives up her her faith or her religion she says like these are things that are important to me um and she is always willing to compromise, but she is like a fully formed she com- woman that like I feel like I would know. You know what I mean? Like this woman she exists com- in the world. Yes. She compromises like within the bounds within with boundaries. At one point she says yeah. like if we can stay here until the baby's born, I want the baby born here. Which, like, yeah, you're going to give birth. You should do it wherever you're comfortable. And if that's, like, in your um, home around your family, then by all means. Um, and then after that, we can move to New York. And she even says it on sort of, like, like I will see what living in Manhattan and raising a child in Manhattan is like. I'm not mm-hmm. agreeing to stay there forever. And he agrees and then reneges because he gets a deal from his shitty boss. Um, his boss, who is a monster. <laughs> yes. And is also played by one of those actors where you're like, yeah, that guy. After Matthew Perry has done like a pretty shit job at project managing this new club because he's off gallivanting with Salma Hayek, which like no judgment. Nobody wants to work anymore. And I would also be off gallivanting with Salma Hayek. Like, fuck the man. Forget about who cares. 
you know, you're not saving puppies. You're building a nightclub. It's everything will be fine. Um, but then he still gets a promotion. And I was like, even in the movies, white men fail. up. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, anyway, yes. Like she redecorates. He's like staying in like corporate housing or like, like they've, his company has like got him a very basic, like house and like it's like a very funny like they get a view of the suburbs or of like this this little like suburban block he lives on and all the houses look the same and inside it's just like white yeah. and he has like one chair because he's not staying there and she like decorates it to look like like a casita like it has these like beautiful colors we equate with like mexican interior design and just like makes their house homey and lovely and then of course he walks home and like his house is decorated in all these bright colors and it is the like wake up from different worlds of it all but yeah there's no but she, of, i mean there's, there's no sort of her being like i don't care about that like let's just drink beer and you can go off work whenever you want like she is like no i need you to spend time with me and help raise this i'm not gonna raise this baby on my own like or actually what she says yeah. is i'm more than happy to raise this baby on my own you are obligated to nothing uh, but if you're gonna be but if here, you're gonna be you're here. gonna be here yeah she does not fall into the trope of like the nagging wife of like oh my wife's such a nag like i can't have any fun um or like yeah, well, i'm just another kid like she i mean again like i feel like i know this woman right like she also like wants to have fun and wants to celebrate his successes i mean like one of my favorite scenes is like when she comes to his club opening and she's like i'm so proud of you like you should be Mm -hmm. celebrating this is such a huge accomplishment like she's such a good wife and she loves him so deeply and um and she wants so like so much for him to like allow her to be a part of his life and to let him in and that's so foreign to him because like that's not what he was raised in or what he comes from um and yeah, so we'll like talk about him, joe clayberg and john Perry because it's perfect bad parents oh my god perfect writing of bad parents. quintessential bad, races, bad parents who are also racist we love it yes we don't love um, racism we love this characterization of these people without now i'm keep go going ahead we'll talk just no without... i just i i could go on and on about salma hayek's character i think um it's clear that this movie was written by a woman, right? Like, there's just something whole so, about her. like, whole about her. Yeah. yeah. They both get to be interesting and flawed. And, uh, yeah. like, she is given the same weight in this movie that he is, which I think is relatively rare in rom-coms of this time. Um, and And on the flip, like, he also does not, like he's not tropified right like he's no. not like the bad boy made good or like the playboy made good by some woman like there's he is also a fully formed fully flushed out human being again and like which falling I think in love what... with her changes him yeah but he does the work of changing it's not sort right. of like like she has changed like it, it does feel like he's like well now this has happened and he even says to her like after he's had a sh- kind of bad reaction to hearing that she's pregnant like I'm sorry I didn't know what to do I don't you came over and said this to me I didn't know what to say like I would like to now try and figure out what to say and what to do with you I'm not I'm I'm not gonna necessarily have a great reaction to a woman I met once showing up on my doorstep and telling me she's pregnant there's like sorry I fucked up you know like yeah and the movie does such like every step of the way with both of them like anytime one of them fucks up 
as the the viewer, you're like, oh, no, that, that wasn't handled well. But then they almost always, like, take accountability, take responsibility, apologize to each other, reaffirm their love for each other, um, again, in a way that feels really genuine and accurate. Mm-hmm. There's a really good throwaway line when he first comes. This goes back to, like her like family there's a really good throw line when he first comes to her family home and it's like overwhelmed with aunts and uncles and cousins and neighbors um where he says like this is your sunday dinner and she's like yeah i guess a lot of people couldn't make it <laughs> it's really funny um yeah um yeah his parents are played by his own father john bennett perry and jill clayberg and they are they like uh, they are racist they assume she's the maid. Their reaction when they find out she's not is not great. They don't, they are not warm to him. They're not, um, she's, a, a dr- she's drunk the whole time. Jill Clayburgh is drunk this whole, not the character's drunk the whole movie. And it's very funny. Um, the dad says a lot of really a- like racist shit to her dad. Um, During which like Jill Clayburgh, like the whole time that her husband is just being like a racist monster. She like kind of is like, okay, stop, stop, stop. And then she just like drinks her margarita. Like she's just like, I, all I can do here is like drink. And she's and, like, I love Mexican <laughs> culture. And she it. drinks like a margarita. Like that's what she thinks is Mexican culture is like. Right. Yeah. The most authentic also, Mexican food she's had she, is like Cadoba. The like really kind of interesting thing is she is the like positive racist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she the things that she says about mexican people and mexican culture are positive but they're also like wild generalizations and stereotypes and stereotypes she says like um something about them being like such good help and such you know good hard workers um she's says like they're such a warm people um so like she is like we all know that white woman Right. Like we all know the white woman that's like, what it's not racist, like it's positive. And it's like, yeah, honey, it's still like you're still generalizing about an entire group of human beings. I'm like, not racist. I love my Mexican maid. Right. Right. I only so is that the only brown person? You know? Like <laughs> Um, and the thing we talk about this all the time with movies that we like that depict racism but are not themselves racist. Like this scene holds up because these white people are the butt of the joke. Like mm-hmm. this movie is not subscribing to any of these racist thoughts or ideas. Right. This movie is saying like, this is a real thing that happens when two, when people from two different cultures or two different races get together is that like, if one of their parents are racist or have regressive views, like the that's going to come out and how uncomfortable and how do you navigate that? right the like people and like the answer is like matthew perry's character whose name is literally alex whitman his name is literally white man um like matthew perry's character needed to be like parents shut the fuck up and he doesn't he fucks up but then later he you know it's like but the movie also like i think the movie wants you to cringe at the fact that like he doesn't correct his parents when they assume that he's the housekeeper he loves yeah that's the or that she's the housekeeper like he lets them believe that for longer than he should um he doesn't call his parents out or like set boundaries when his particularly his dad starts saying like horribly racist things um but i think like the movie wants you to cringe the movie wants you to think like this guy 
fucked up. Like this guy is not doing what he should be doing. He's handling this really, really poorly. Yes. Um, I also love, love the argument about where like the Mexican, where the, her parents are like, well, the baby's going to be Catholic. Like the mother's Catholic. Like that's a huge part of our culture. And then his parents are like, well, what's wrong with Presbyterian? And I'm just like, first of all, the waspiness. Second of all, you want me to believe that being Presbyterian is as important to these East Coast, like, wealthy people as being Catholic to this Mexican immigrant family? Like, no, those are not the same. Like, absolutely not. Are those, I, do those face hold the same priority in your lives? I do I not I wrote down that. Presbyterian is not a religion. Was that a thought I had or was that her Selma Hayek's dad's response. Her dad says that. Her okay. dad says Presbyterian is not a religion. Um, Which is such a funny line coming from a Catholic man because I would say prop like, okay, I am married to a Catholic man. My in-laws are Catholic. People I love very deeply are Catholic. I went to a Catholic college. There are things I love about Catholicism. I am not myself Catholic, but I feel like most Catholics would say Presbyterian is not a religion. But like, also, you and I were raised not Probably 99% would say that. You and I were raised not Presbyterian, but we were raised waspy Protestant, where it's like, so we yes. went to church in a deeply Catholic neighborhood. And like, there is just something so funny about like the people we grew up with, like had much more serious religious upbringing than you and I did. Um, yeah. And so there's something like we were not raised in a Mexican Catholic neighborhood, we were raised in an Irish Catholic neighborhood, but there's just something so like, yeah, they take it more seriously than we do. <laughs> type of well, and I think and like. like- I love to criticize Catholicism. I'll do it all goddamn day. I also went to a Catholic. I went to do, we both went to do Catholic colleges. Um, although grad school, you're not really paying attention to any sort of religious, yeah. whatever. Um, and there are things, like you said, there are things about Catholicism that are really nice. The community, the tradition, things that, you know, religion, any religion gives uh the people who follow it and also there are a lot of things to criticize about catholicism um although this movie does the thing very well that all sort of like accidental pregnancy movies have to do which is address abortion in the beginning when he's like thank god i deeply believe in a woman's right to choose and this deeply catholic woman says so do i i'm choosing to keep it Mm-hmm. And I just think like it's, it's so it's, well done. It's one off. It's quick. We understand that like she does not feel forced to give birth to this baby. Like I I think uh, her character is pro-choice and her choice is to have the baby. Yeah. And I just yeah. think it's like very quick. And it's also a joke because he thinks she's come to tell him that she's having an abortion, which is dumb of him. Like she why would she come tell you anyway? Um but also it like lays out who these people are and then we move forward in the movie. And I think yeah. it's just like in a way that like, and I loved, I love the movie Juno and I love the movie knocked up, but in a way that it's sort of like, it happens in those movies because if it didn't, we wouldn't have a movie, which is also true here. But like, it's harder for me to believe why a teenage, why a teenager or like Catherine Heigl wouldn't have more seriously considered an abortion in which in this like part of it is that we haven't seen her consider it at all she comes with the decision made but also like right. I'm like oh yeah I believe that this woman has like 
weighed her options and made a choice. Well, and when we talked about Knocked Up, like that was one of my main criticisms. And this has been a conversation um, in the romance book world recent, like always, but like it's kind of picked up steam again in like a post-row overturn world because a lot of people I think really struggle with the like surprise pregnancy trope because it so often comes with like some either just completely ignoring that conversation and that option or this sort of like underpinning of like no this character would never Mm -hmm. consider that and I there are lots of like surprise pregnancy trope books that I love, but my favorites are the ones where the character does consider that. And I in fact, like I one of my favorite books I read this year, the author at the beginning, like in her author note, said as like, this is a like there's a surprise pregnancy because like that's the plot of this book. But given like the world that we live in and the the state of reproductive choice i felt it necessary for my character to have that conversation and make that consideration because i want to be clear as an author and from my character's perspective that those are things that i support and hold dear and i think that like if like if you want your surprise pregnancy book or movie to feel accurate particularly like to a woman of a certain age and a certain political leaning you have to include that conversation yeah it's sort of like i I am a 30 almost 34 year old woman in a stable healthy committed relationship and it would still be a conversation to be had like more so than any other point in my life i'm like oh if i had a surprise pregnancy i would probably more consider having it than not whereas like uh, you know most of my life up to this point i've been like you know if i got pregnant i don't really think i need to consider it i almost certainly if i got pregnant before now would have gotten an abortion but now it's sort of like oh i think i would have i would obviously have that conversation with my partner and it would be a probably different and longer and conversation and more decision but it would still be part of the conversation so when these movies when these plots happen and it's not and i think i would have forgiven this movie if it didn't have it because i was like well it's 1997 in a way that when it came up i was like oh i can't believe it's 1997 and that actually might be less so that we weren't in a place to be having these conversations in 1997 so much so that we haven't progressed past this i don't think we've ended yeah. we have in fact regressed because this movie made 15 years ago 25 years ago jesus christ this movie <laughs> made, the 90s were 20 years ago this movie made 25 years ago was made in a world where roe existed uh mm-hmm. and we're watching it now in a world where it doesn't and anyway that is a little bit shocking so i don't think it's less that like oh this movie was ahead of its time is that i think we are now behind its time yeah yeah um and that's a big old bummer i think the way it was handled in this movie was done well and and represented a modern progressive catholic woman making Mm -hmm. the choice for herself and only herself you know it's the thing of like i bet this character is like this character obviously doesn't have an abortion, but her pro-choiceness is that she doesn't get to make that decision for other women. Right. 
Anyway, well yeah. done movie. There are snakes in this movie, which begs the question. First of all, I, I need a trigger warning ahead of movies with snakes. Um, also, I was at Disney last night and we went on, or yesterday, and we went on some ride where there were snakes. It was like the train roller coaster. It was like the Western and there was obviously fake snakes, but I was just like, oh, it's right there. Anyway, is this movie why I have a snake thing? For me. Because I don't know where it comes mm-hmm. from. And maybe it's what, and then all the brothers. So they, these rattlesnakes have surrounded Matthew Perry as he's off shooting with her brothers. And they all shoot at the snakes at his feet. And he jumps around. And I'm like, this man would absolutely be shot in the ankles. Best case yeah. scenario. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, this movie is just an hour and a half of two people figuring out where to live, which is realistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I loved every outfit she wore. Everything about her was so nineties. And just, I love a so many like overalls. Yeah, so many like flowy flower dresses and short black with boots yes with boots and like that like chinky belt that we all had so many rings lots of rings thumb rings you know another thing i loved as a teenager that i think must have come for this movie i said what whom to whom do i have to pray to look like selma hayek (laughs) and have her hair i truly um she's so beautiful in this movie i mean always <laughs> again us with like the real cutting edge takes here selma hayek is beautiful selma hayek is beautiful and talented um yeah let the white people melt oh when they were having the racist conversation they were like we're melting in the sun and i was like yeah you should <laughs> bye bye um i said i have a note chewy chewy who's her ex-boyfriend is so hot but also a cop do you choose the millionaire capitalist or the cop? Yeah. Or the perfect sweater for this. I didn't even think about this. I just pulled a sweatshirt from my drawer. I wore the perfect sweatshirt for this, which is my Missouri abortion fund sweatshirt that says fund abortion, not police. Yep, exactly. Um, it was a different, yeah. And the two, so like her great grandmother still lives in uh, like her parents' hometown in Mexico. And the, she's there in the beginning, I think probably visiting her great grandmother but also just so we can get these like beautiful sweeping views of like mexican countryside it's like uh, bury me there that's great um and there's like two little boys who have a crush on her who are like watching her um and one of them asks if she's gonna marry the cop (laughs) i was like oh no she's gonna marry the capitalist um this movie as i said that also does a really nice thing where so often in american movies and tv mexico is depicted as rundown poor gang-ridden drug you know like this depiction of not just not only like a mexican family without any of those sort of stereotypes but also like mexico is this just like beautiful idyllic place i think is important Mm -hmm. um i have a friend who's lebanese and he works on a show and they did a episode in lebanon um and he has there's like a scene where like a taxi driver is driving the main character like through lebanon and talking about what he loves about lebanon and how beautiful it is and my friend just pointed out like how important it was to him that he was able to write this episode that talked about the beauty of lebanon rather than what how it is usually depicted which is you know in disrepair and i I think that 
fits here too. Right. Just like these places often populated by brown people that we depict in American film and television as dangerous or scary or or what have you are beautiful places filled with uh people like anywhere else they have families they have communities they go to work they come home you know and i just think it's important there's no sort of like uh what's the word i'm looking for there's no sort of like proselytizing did i make up that word Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. great but that you get what i mean about it there's no sort of like there's not a monologue about how Mexico is depicted and how beautiful it is. It just is. It's just depicted lovely. And this Mexican family is depicted with beauty and care and love and without uh, racism or stereotypes. And I think that's really nice and important. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't know anything about the writer. Um, I suspect that she's a white woman. Um, name would tell you but at least from like my white woman perspective it felt like whether it was Selma Hayek or somebody else like somebody Mexican was consulted in the way that like this family and this woman was portrayed and like the way that they interact the way that they talk about their faith the way that like um there's lots of scenes where her and her mom are like in church lighting candles, um, which are really like funny. Her and her mom's really lovely, really funny. charming scenes, but they, yeah, they're like, I love their relationship and it also felt true to life. Um, again, as like a white woman looking in, um, there's another good, did not feel like it didn't, it didn't feel like a stereotype. It felt gen- there was another good um throwaway line when they're like in writing candles and she's talking about his job and if he does well in his job he gets to something and his mom's like okay so am i lighting the candle to stay or to go for him to do well or for him to fail like which candle do you want me to like like how how would you to pray (laughs) yes it was very funny okay the one of the women credited with the story is the same (laughs) yes uh so Joan Taylor was an actress and she's credited with the story of this. Uh, she's Italian. Italian-American. Her father was from Sicily. So there's a chance that like the Catholic crossover there. Let's. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, the writer of this movie has also died. That's very sad. Um, I wonder if the script was originally for an Italian woman oh, and then they wanted to cast Selma Hayek. And so um, it, this woman, the Catherine Reback is the woman who also did the story by by both those women. And then she wrote the screenplay and I can't find anything about her uh, ethnicity on her um, Wikipedia, which generally means she's white. <laughs> yeah. Um, she her work was fool's Russian in the production draft of the 1983 film Flashdance. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's true, if this movie was written for, unlike when we did Little Italy and we were like, oh, this seems to have been written for, about an Indian family and then changed Italian and then we just left a bunch of stereotypes and racism about Indian people. If this was in fact about an Italian woman and then because they cast Selma Hayek, they made it about Mexico, whomever they consulted, Selma Hayek or somebody else, 
made it feel authentically Mexican. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I could imagine that like in the late 90s when Salma Hayek was like very much a thing. I mean, she still is, but like, I feel like she was very like in a lot of ways, like an it girl in the mm-hmm. late 90s. Zorro, um, baby. No, that... that's Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> Never mind. I always do that. Um, Wild Wild West. But the studio was like, West. we want Salma Hayek. And then, yeah. And then like they adjusted, you know. Um, Matthew Perry, again, Meryl Streep's a good actress. Matthew Perry's funny. Uh, he do you have anything else to say Matthew Perry is funny that's a, a lot that of period. This, his humor is very specific a lot of this and I wonder if some of the negative reviews are like oh if it's like if Chandler was in this situation and I mean like never does he say like could I be could you be any more pregnant <laughs> uh, I, I mean I, the, the other thing is that like he played that character for 10 years like there's a lot of Matthew Perry in Chandler yeah. right like it's not that like Chandler was holy and apart from Matthew Perry. So yes, when you see him in other things, there is a Chandlerness to it because because That's Matthew Matthew's- Perry because like there's a Matthew Perryness to Chandler. You I know, also like, think that like Bell so quintessentially Matthew Perry. Well, and like a lot of actors have their style and their tenor and their their like comedic personality, and we. And like, so did he. It's just that we watched it so consistently for a decade and then more because it's on HBO and some of us spent all of our quarters as children buying the DVD box sets from Borders. That's a very old sentence. Um, But like, we are so familiar with his tenor and comedic personality because it was so consistent throughout. So like, you're right. Like, then he makes another movie and it's still there. He does, he makes him really interesting acting choices in like the tender moments there's one that stuck with me so deeply it's the last scene we have to talk about the last like the come to where they're like on a bridge and she gives birth on a bridge and she's in the um ambulance with the baby and they're gonna take her to the hospital and he walks in the back of the ambulance and they have like a quick little conversation to make a joke and then as he's walking around her he like touches her toe in a way that mm-hmm. it stuck with me so deeply that i was like oh i remember like watching that as a kid and being like that is the height of romantic in- intimacy is just like this cute little like tender toe touch and ben said he was like that feels like an acting choice i was like yeah that feels mm-hmm. like matthew perry in the acting moment like doing something like being sweet to selma hayek in the same way that there's an episode of friends that i really love where and it's one of the rare um uh, Rachel Chandler episodes where like they're off on a storyline on their own which doesn't happen that often but when they do they become iconic episodes a la the cheesecake episode um, and in this one it's an earlier episode I think it's in season four and she she has broken up with Ross and she's trying to date and like men suck like none of the relationships are working out and there was one she liked who like then broke up with her and she's just like having a shitty time dating Um and he had hockey tickets that day and he was like well if all you want to come to a hockey game with me tonight and like feel better or whatever and they're like sitting on the recliner um and at one point he like like just like rubs her forehead with his thumb really tenderly and it's like oh that feels like it's those moments where you're like oh i think like that was matthew perry with jennifer aniston in a way that like i feel like that toe touch was matthew perry with selma hayek and just like being kind to these women he worked with who he was 
I mean, definitely in the case of Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston, but likely also with Salma Hayek, like friends with. And it just like mm-hmm. their acting choices, but they're also they also just speak to like. I know he was a very complicated person, and I don't think we need to dissect the comp, but it also <laughs> seems like he had he was a kind and loving person. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, Matthew Perry is funny, right? Like, <laughs> again, Meryl Streep's a good actor. Um. And he will be remembered for his comedic timing and his sarcasm and his dry wit and he as he should be. But there's also like a deep vulnerability to his acting. And like in those moments where he is acting in a more like tender moment or a more vulnerable moment, like that comes through too and i think that i i noticed that to a touch too there are a couple of moments where like he physically interacts with various characters not just selma hayek but like there's a moment in the hospital with her best friend laney there's a moment with her brothers like where he physically interacts with them in a way that is demonstrating this character's vulnerability and this character's like roller coaster of emotions that they're going through and like you said they're all very subtle acting choices but they lend such credence and depth to the movie and the character and i think that it's worth remembering that yes he's a he was a fantastically talented comedic actor but he also did vulnerability and and sweetness and and tenderness well too <clears throat> one of the greatest episodes of friends is in my opinion chandler in a box the one where chandler's in a mm-hmm. box just i think the title of it um he spends two-thirds of the episode in a box to atone for joey because he's fallen in love with joey's girlfriend and so you do not see matthew perry for two-thirds of the episode he talks from the box for the second third he is silent for the final third of this episode until a moment at the end when the woman he has fallen in love with, who is Joey's girlfriend, comes to end things with Chandler. And it's she's played by Paget Brewster, and she gives him the whole breakup speech and leaves. And as she does, his little finger pokes out of the box and does like a subtle wave. Again, you do not see Matthew Perry. And that episode, I think, is a really great example of his ability to be excellently comedic without ever being seen. And then excellently like sweet, tender, and vulnerable without being without saying anything. And the only part of him you see is his finger. Like, yeah, not everybody can do that. Um, No, not everybody could do that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The climax of this movie is one of the greatest rom-com. It's such, they, he has gone to Mexico to try and find her because he thought she was with her great-grandmother. He has gotten blessing from her great-grandmother to go find her he thinks she's not pregnant which i also think is an important part of this is that it's like she has lied to him and said she lost the baby which is not a great thing to do you shouldn't lie to your partner but also she white fanged him she white fanged him but also also known as harry and the henderson say um or shaming <laughs> um also it helps i think her and the audience believe that like he has gone back to this relationship because he loves her not because he thinks they're held together by a baby yeah um and he and the grandmother's like no she went back to las vegas and she says to have the baby but he doesn't speak spanish so he doesn't get that part which also like you're 
in love with a Spanish-speaking woman and you're about to have uh, a child who, so you need to learn Spanish, one, be, to help that child, like, because it's a good thing to do as a parent. And also, because if you don't, they're going to talk a lot of shit about you right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, he goes back and they meet on this, on the, like, bridge and it's pouring rain and he confesses her love and then she goes into labor and it's so there's so many good like like it's raining they're in a car she goes into labor and has a baby on the side of the highway like and they're just like yelling at each other in the rain oh and there's him like yelling at her and she's like she says something about like i need you to take me to the hospital he's like what and she's like because my water her water breaks and she knows it despite the fact that it's pouring rain which maybe you do. I've never had a water. Break. I was like, there's no way this woman wouldn't know her water. Broke. Wouldn't you She's just be like, oh, it's already. Rain. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, it's just such a good, like climactic rom-com chasing her down scene. It is a um, perfect, like grand romantic gesture scene. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yes. I love in movies and TV where people have babies, not in hospitals. I, in life, all babies should be born in hospitals. It's the safest um but in uh movies i love when they're it's like in uh <laughs> holiday when he like he like just such a silly when he's like on the field and he realizes she's in labor because oh no this is this is just best man yeah or is it best man holiday and he like realizes she's dying it doesn't matter he like maybe it's both <laughs> anyway he like he like chases her it's, it's so i just love it chasing down when someone's either in labor or dying of cancer because best man holiday is same you know bummer of a movie so similar yeah um <laughs> happy best man holiday season to those who celebrate <laughs> this is a christmas um, movie because it opens at christmas time it's true it's true um yeah this movie's excellent i love it i probably will like watch it more more regularly now because i kind of had like put it away yeah i don't think i'd watch it in a very long time take it back out um oh at one point he's talking on an airplane phone so that does not hold up neither does his laptop his laptop is enormous (laughs) it's the most absurd looking computer i've ever seen he also like doesn't have a phone number when there's a great line where he's like which is like probably this movie was based around seeing this line where his assistant's like, someone's on the phone and they say you're your wife. And he's like, tell her I'll call her back and also get her phone number. Um, and there's this is a movie that can't be made with cell phones because they just like, they can never, if they move a place, they can't get a hold of them because they don't have their new number. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, Unless you have the airplane phone to call the ground phone. <laughs> right, like in, in nowadays, like he would just call her. He wouldn't go all the way to Mexico and then all the way back to Vegas. He'd text her and be like, where are you at? baby girl what that thing do um <laughs> yeah this is a good movie and everyone should watch it if you haven't fools do in fact rush in oh the music's great yeah. oh the music's fantastic very like because vegas baby Vegasy. yep yep we get some lots of like frank and you know big brass band Dean martin and yeah. obviously elvis and yeah good stuff love it um anything else about this movie no Probably, but I'll remember when we're done and then just text you. Next, we are watching her. <laughs> this wasn't a way for me to get out of watching her. We're still going to do it. Um, I We're still it very... It is in- time. It is time. Um, so join us in two weeks for that. Our Halloween Patreon is up on Warm Bodies, which was fun. And 
our next Patreon is going to be um, the Meg Ryan directed rom-com with her and David Duchovny. So that'll be fun. Um, and we pushed, if we had said earlier that we were going to do a you again book club for Patreon, we're going to do that in the next, in the new year. Because yes. um, so at Christmas for- time, we'll have some Christmas fun on the Patreon. Christmas. Christmas is coming. Um, yes. We will link in the show notes to um, Doctors Without Borders and the Palestine Children's Relief Fund. If you are able, please donate. Both of those uh, organizations are on the ground um, in Palestine uh, and in the Gaza Strip providing uh, relief and medical uh, support civilians. um if you have not please call your representatives um and demand a ceasefire uh the calls are working it seems dick durbin um, baby illinois senator dick durbin has called for a ceasefire how many times never, did you call him carrie did, can we give you credit for that never in a million years would i thought he'd be the first but there he is so i think that that's evidence that the calls are working so if you've not and Bernie so, and please. Warren, I know you're listeners of this podcast, but Dick Durbin, just be you. Yeah. We, we want to look at that Yikes. one. Uh, anyway. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, the world is bad, and it felt weird <clears throat> this week to be like mourning the death of a celebrity, which is, you know, small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. But um, so here are other ways to help because the world is yeah. very dark right now. There- yeah, there are also humanitarian crises, crises going on in the Sudan and in Congo, in the Congo. So if you feel called to monetarily support um, the people doing humanitarian work on the ground in those places, um, that's a great way to direct your energy as well, energy and finances as well. Mm. Yeah. Great. We'll see you in two weeks for her. We love you guys. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.